Man, oh man, it is good to be back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of So Have You Seen? I am your host, Noel Cruz, and I am excited about this episode. One of the reasons why I haven't recorded anything recently is that I've been saving it for this episode in which I am going to give my review of the highly anticipated film, Zack Snyder's Justice League, also known as the Snyder Cut. People have been waiting for this for quite some time. I've had friends and families and and co-workers. We've discussed this. We've anticipated it. You know, everything from whether this thing was going to you know, reinvigorate the the DC universe or whether it was going to bury it once and for all. Um, this was huge, you know, and there was so much going on about it. You know, it, it's going to be a four-hour spectacle. It's, you know, it, it's, it's going to add so much more. There's not going to be anything from Josh Whedon's version. Uh, you know, there were some scenes that were reshot there was a lot. There was a lot. There was a controversy with one of the main actors, Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg and Warner Brothers. He, you know, when the Josh Whedon version was done, he was incredibly unhappy with it and, and what the final product on it was. And after seeing this version of Justice League, you really see the importance and the significance of his character, Cyborg. So it does really kind of give credence to his to his argument. Because that that character, Cyborg, is, is one of the shining stars of this film. And it, it definitely affected my final rating. But we're finally here. Um, so let's talk about it. If you guys watched it, I would be very interested to know what you thought of it. Um, just a quick backdrop. This film was originally done by Zack Snyder. He had to walk away from it, you know, and leaving it unfinished, tragically due to the death of his daughter, Autumn, Autumn Snyder. Um, so he just, he had to let the movie go. The movie was completed by uh, director Josh Whedon, uh, who's known for the TV show, I believe, Firefly, and more so he's known for the Avenger the Avengers film, the first Avengers film, and Avengers Age of Ultron. They have two very distinct visions. Um, Zack Snyder's Avengers is one of my favorite superhero movies ever. Age of Ultron, I enjoyed. I I thought it wasn't as good as the initial version of... uh, or Not the initial version, but I didn't think it was as good as the initial film Avengers. But it was entertaining. It was very entertaining. And you definitely see in his version of Justice League where he left his fingerprints on the project. Some for the better, you know, some for the worst of it. But I'm not going to lie. I am one of the few people who actually enjoyed his version. It was not terrible. It was fun. It, um, It gave an opportunity to see all of the DC heroes on screen for the first time. And growing up as a kid, as much as I loved Marvel Comics, I always kind of gravitated more towards DC. So to finally see Aquaman, The Flash, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman together was 
incredibly satisfying. There were other heroes who were missing, Green Lantern, for example, Hawkman, and so on. But we'll get there all in due time. You had the initial characters in this film. So the final product was satisfying, but it wasn't what it was meant to be. This wasn't what Zack Snyder wanted to do. So after the film was released to relatively okay reviews, but it was, you know, just a a general consensus that it wasn't what it was supposed to be. Like to a lot of people I knew, it just felt unfinished or it felt rushed or just wasn't right. So in starting this trend on social media, there was a hashtag that was released. It was called Release the Snyder Cut. And it was rumor that Zack Snyder had his definitive version of Justice League. And it was gaining a lot of momentum. I mean, even the actors themselves, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, Ray Fisher, Ezra Miller, on their own social media, they started pushing release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. So as a fan, you're saying, holy shit. If the actors themselves are affirming this, so then what is this thing like? Like, what does it look like? What is it about? It, it started a fever to such a degree that Warner Brothers backed it along with other producers. And I believe also even Ben Affleck was one of the producers who put money into it and brought the project to life. So they gave Zack Snyder his chance. Now, Zack Snyder is a person who really doesn't know the the meaning of the word subtlety. He does have an eye. I mean, he has one hell of an eye for the whole genre. Just everything about it. He knows how to film people. He knows how to do the iconic shots like the poses where superman is flying or when batman is like kneeling or when aquaman is swimming or when wonder woman is fighting that you cannot take away from this man whatever his shortcomings are he has an eye for it the the, my testimony to that is a film called watchmen if you've never seen it check it out to me it is probably his finest hour you know, these, these superhero movies are usually done based on a story, based on a comic book. And what happens is that they'll get a screenwriter to do an ad- uh, adaptation of that story to make it into a film. To make it that two hours or what have you. Zack Snyder had the, I don't know if it's the audacity or, or just the heart to say, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to make the Watchmen page for page, frame for frame into a movie. That shit is unbelievable. He did it and it worked. Now to the, to the casual comic book fan, the movie Watchmen can be very long, very tedious, but to a person who read and loved the graphic novel, that is literally just a masterpiece. Everything from, the story, the dialogue, the costumes, everything. So that, to me, what is what put great faith when I heard he was doing Man of Steel, which was brilliant. I absolutely love Man of Steel. It's probably, next to the original Wonder Woman, it probably is my favorite 
of the DC films. Everything was done right. Everything was just... I mean, from the beginning of the film where Superman is being born, where his mother Lara is giving birth to him, where they touch on why he is so significant, why he is really the last son of Krypton, other than the planet just blowing up, there's more to it. There's so much more to him being the last son of Krypton. The way they play General Zod, uh, the way, I mean... Um, Russell Crowe playing Jarrell kind of had like that Marlon Brando s to him and the way Kevin Costner was Jonathan Kent his earth father and how they kind of mold him to the score to how he gets his suit I mean there was a lot of also a homage to the Christopher Reeve film which is my favorite of all time they were smart enough to kind of you know keep the parallels there but to kind of bring it up to speed Amy Adams, Lauren Fish, Lawrence Fishburne, Michael Shannon as General Zod. It all worked. It all worked, and it all worked beautifully. So seeing Zack Snyder do that, and then you hear that he's going to do Batman vs. Superman, and then Justice League, you're like, all right, this is it. This is going to be great. Unfortunately, that wasn't necessarily the case. After Man of Steel, he kind of stumbled out of the gate, and that was clearly visible in Batman vs. Superman. He cast Ben Affleck, who was, again, to me, next to Christian Bale, probably the second best Batman, and then I give it to Michael Keaton. No disrespect to Michael Keaton, because Michael Keaton was the first, and Michael Keaton did an incredible job, but Michael Keaton didn't have the frame. And his Bruce Wayne, to me, wasn't very deep. You know, Christian Bale was the standard because Christian Bale was a smooth Bruce Wayne. He he exuded that mystery, that wealth. He was charming. He was good-looking. You know, he was everything that Bruce Wayne was supposed to be. And as Batman, despite that that voice that was a little ridiculous, he was excellent. Batman Begins... The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises are on a shelf on their own. Those are not to be touched. Those are incredible films. But if we're talking about the comic book Batman, the comic book Bruce Wayne, Ben Affleck, in my humble opinion, is the best. He's only second best to Christian Bale when you're, to me, when you're discussing them collectively. But if you're talking about comic book accuracy, Ben Affleck takes the cake. And I'll have words with anyone who says otherwise. So him being in Batman vs. Superman, he did great. He was one of the best parts of that film, but the film was flawed in, in a lot of ways. If you listen to my review with a buddy of mine, Victor Bankhead, who joined me, he was one of my first guests, excuse me, on the podcast, you'll hear why that film just stumbled horribly the ending of that film shows that superman perishes while fighting doomsday who was horrible oh man it just the creature design for it the the idea of the of the character of using the character of doomsday it was just in my opinion respectfully poorly done they could have done it completely different and made one hell of a movie instead we got something that was just at some points comical and frustrating and depressing along with Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor.
the end of the film pretty much, you know, has Batman and Wonder Woman, who was one of the shining beacons of Batman versus Superman. Her introduction, she comes towards the end of the film right when you need it, like a shot in the arm, because the film was long and it was kind of drawn out. And with the exception of the scenes of Batman not being in the movie, that was one of the rare instances where I looked at my watch and was like, all right, how much more of this is there? Because as visually beautiful as it is, it just lacked a lot of things. So when Wonder Woman finally showed up, all right, shit's moving. We're back in it. Let's go. The movie continues. The final action sequence happens. Batman succumbs to his wounds battling Doomsday. And the movie ends with the death of Superman and Batman telling Wonder Woman after the whole film, he wanted to fight Superman because he thought he was an alien threat. It was very out of character for Batman. They kind of made him almost paranoid, which is one of the things I didn't like. He realizes he made a mistake. And then he tells Wonder Woman, there are more of us out there. We need to unite because there's a threat coming, you know, in the or in the event that there's a, you know, with Doomsday, him seeing Doomsday and, you know, the, the reality that Superman came from space. He's like, there are more potential threats. We need to come together. And then we come to Justice League. The beginning of this film of Zack Snyder's cut shows that scene. And already it was kind of satisfying because you see in this battle that a Superman is screaming his scream is so loud and so powerful, it resonates like this sonic ring. Like you see it spread across the land. And that's kind of reminiscent to something that Lex Luthor said at the end of Batman versus Superman. The bell has rung. It can't be undone. They've heard the God is dead. So my brother Tony, who I, who I saw the movie with, Tony, my nephew Vic and Devin, we made a whole thing out of it, which was great. Um... It gave context immediately at the start of the movie. So I'm like, okay, we're on the right track here. Then the movie continues and it plays as it did with Josh Whedon's version. You see very much, again, a lot of similar tropes, except this movie is done in six parts. The first part, don't count on it, Batman, is when Batman is trying to recruit Aquaman, who's played by Jason Momoa. Certain aspects of that scene were different than what we saw from Snyder from um uh, sorry Josh Whedon's version and they were a lot more interesting um it played differently there wasn't too much that was different i just thought it played a little smoother played better it had a bit more context to it which is what Snyder did throughout this whole film so from there we go to now, Wonder Woman's intro. Again, similar very much to what Whedon had done based on what Zack Snyder had filmed. But here we're getting Snyder's version. And I have to say, in comparison, Snyder's version blew Whedon's out of the water. You see Wonder Woman go to work <laughs> in this scene. And I love me some Princess Diana, man. You know, Wonder Woman 1984 was, was a big disappointment for me. And I'm still mad at her, but I love her. And I always will. 
because I could watch Gal Gadot read the ingredients on a soup can and just fall in love with her with every word she says. But here she's back and she's the Wonder Woman that we know and love and unbelievable, just absolutely unbelievable. And as well, she should be because as Wonder Woman, she is a huge part of the team. If, you know, if you really, when it comes down to it, one of the reasons Batman versus Superman showcased the three of them is because the team in essence really is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. So here in the Snyder Cut with her introduction, you see that she means business. It then goes from Wonder Woman back to Themyscira where one of the mother boxes is being protected as the mother boxes which are in essence the infinity stones of this film. The mystical things that that the villain needs in order to rule the planet. The Amazons always win. I mean, in, in, in terms of whenever they're on screen, whether it's Batman versus Superman, the, one, the first Wonder Woman film, Wonder Woman 1984, because the first 15 minutes of that film was incredibly entertaining. The Amazons just always win, man. They win big and they do it right. They do it right. They look beautiful and strong and efficient. I love the choreography of the Amazonians fighting because they look legit. These women are in shape. They're they're beautiful. They're warriors. The whole relay scene of them trying to pass the mother box to each other. So the villain Steppenwolf, who this time around looks amazing. He looks so much better than the initial release of the character in Whedon's version. They kind of, I don't know why they redid him. Here he just looks bad ass. And the way that these Amazonians try to get the box away from him, you know, as fast as they can, and the way he just dispatches them, brilliant, brilliant, much more meatier and detailed than what we saw in Whedon's version. And I love, again, I love, love, love seeing the Amazons do their thing. I think if Wonder Woman would have focused more on going back to Themyscira, I think they would have had a different movie and it would have been much better than what was initially released. But the film progresses. You see how they try to get the mother box away from him and ultimately he proves to be too much. Steppenwolf proves to be too much. He takes the mother box and he gets away with it. This leads us now into the film's second act. This part of the film continues the run pretty much of what Bruce Wayne is doing in recruiting heroes. So we now see him trying to get the Flash, which is Barry Allen's character. In Josh Whedon's version, we really didn't get a solid intro to the Flash. We didn't. We just had like Bruce Wayne show up at his like, you know, place and kind of reveal to him that he's Batman. So in the second part of the hill of second part of the film, excuse me, called The Age of Heroes, we see now Batman not only looking to recruit Barry Allen, but we also get a proper introduction to Barry Allen's character. 
we get to see him use the speed force. We get to see a scene that was cut from the initial film with, which is where he meets his love, like his Lois Lane. Her name is Iris West. That scene was nowhere to be found in the Josh Whedon cut. Here we see it and you see the detail and the, the beauty of the flash and what it is that he does. What we also get is a deep telling, an in-depth telling of what the mother boxes are. And this is all said from Wonder Woman's perspective. She's pretty much explaining to Batman the history of what's coming because the Amazonians had reached out to her to let her know that one of the boxes were taken and the world is soon to be invaded. When she comes to Batman to explain this, we get an entire intro to this fight, which leads us to the introduction of Darkseid. He is the main baddie. He is in this universe, Thanos. He pretty much, as even though Steppenwolf is the antagonist, Darkseid is, as they as they used to say back in the day, the real deal, the bad mama jamma. He's the one. So I will be honest, I wasn't crazy about how he looked. He was digitally done very much like Thanos. I thought you know, and, and again, I, I I hate to make these comparisons, but they're there for a reason. You know, also, Darkseid was created years before Thanos came out. So he was actually one of the very first villains of like this, like this uh, galactic warlord kind of, you know, vibe. It was Darkseid, first and foremost. He was digitally done here. Um, he looked... Okay, he looked, he definitely looked true to form, but I don't know. They, there's there was something about him that just didn't. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm nitpicking. But as good as he looked, I thought he could look better. It was incredibly satisfying to finally see him come down and do his thing, and to fight, and to show why he's a threat and the chaos that he caused. At the same time we get a moment to kind of reflect on Aquaman very quickly and why he has yet to embrace the mantle of Aquaman because he is half human, half Atlantean. So there's a brief moment in part two of this movie where they touch on him uh, and also a surprise that wasn't in the first film, William Defoe. I think his name is Voltor. He plays like his mentor. He makes an appearance and he talks to Aquaman and he tells him the significance of the part that he has to play in all of this because he is of two worlds. So that was also very, very cool. So the film progresses into part three, which is called Beloved Mother and Beloved Son. And actually, in hindsight, everything I said about The Flash my sincerest apologies, does not happen in part two, but in part three. So we kind of get to see all of the Flash's 
power and and just brilliance done in the third part of this film and it focuses also this is where it takes the moment to shine a light on cyborg and man is it ever possibly one of the best parts of this movie in Josh Whedon's cut, Cyborg was definitely more like a side character. And, and, and I, I think I may have touched on this. This was one of Ray Fisher's biggest problems. He felt that Josh Whedon did his character no credit. And honestly, after seeing this, I have to, I have to agree with the guy. Because holy shit, man, Cyborg here is a completely different character. So much more in depth so much more detail so much more significance that he's a you understand why he's a valued part of the team in the other movie he was just like okay cool we we have a robot too (laughs) you know we got the king of the seas we have an amazonian a dude who could run really fast a guy who dresses as a bat an alien with superpowers oh and a robot a walking computer that's literally how it felt in comparison now that i know what I know of Cyborg, the way he was played. And it's all for the better. This is, again, one of the things that Snyder used wisely in making a four-hour movie. It progresses. It shows where, as I said, Bruce Wayne finds the Flash. He reveals him who he is. Wonder Woman reaches out to Cyborg. She talks to him. She explains what's coming, his connection to the mother box. So it builds, it builds well. And it also gets to a point where we see Aquaman come up against Steppenwolf because Steppenwolf goes to Atlantis to steal the second mother box. So this also now gives that moment where Aquaman understands that this fight is real and he's either going to have to get up off his ass and fight or just let things be as they are. And the, you know, the battle between Steppenwolf and Aquaman underwater is really cool. Really, really cool. So now that he understands what's going on, he chooses to fight. He chooses to team up with the, remaining members of the Justice League. This leads to the really cool battle sequence that's done in Gotham Harbor that was done in the Weeding Cut as well. It pretty much kind of plays out the same. There are very few things that are different, but honestly, it's very, very similar. There's not too much of a difference from what Whedon did to what Snyder did. So you could tell that Whedon really didn't, excuse me, He really didn't branch out and change too much from this Gotham Harbor scene and left well enough alone. Snyder changed a little bit of it, not too much. So it stays the same, still plays out very well. The movie progresses and now Steppenwolf tells Darkseid, I have two of the three and something that's interesting Two of the three mother boxes, excuse me. And something that's interesting in the film as well is that you realize that one of the reasons why Steppenwolf is hell-bent on getting these things is because he's fallen out of favor with Darkseid. So that's why he's obsessed, because he's trying to get back 
into Darkseid's good graces. So he's like telling him, you know, Master, you know, I've gotten two out of the three. I'm making progress. And Darkseid pretty much tells him, you know, progress isn't made until you have all three. Don't contact me until you have them. So, you know, this motivates Steppenwolf even more. The third mother box is in the possession of Cyborg because Cyborg is part of it. One of the reasons why he has his powers is because of the mother box. The mother box fused to his body and given an accident, a, a grotesque accident that he suffered. That's why he, it kind of calls to him. So he brings the third mother box to the Justice League and he tells them, I have it. And he explains to the mother box, I'm, I'm sorry, he explains to the Justice League what the mother box can do and how it can, it has something called, I believe, the anti-life equation, which means that it could bring, it, it has the potential to reconstruct, to even bring things that are dead back to life. And this is the moment where the Justice League collectively looks at each other and says, we have the potential to bring back Superman. Now, this is all Batman's idea. A lot of the team members are reluctant. They're like, no, we should, you know, he's dead. We should leave him be, whatever the case. Batman is like, we have this opportunity to bring him back. There is no team without Superman, which is one of the lines that in the film that I love. And they decide to move forward with it and see how they could use the mother box to bring him back. Now, during this part of the movie is where we see a, f a scene that literally got the biggest reaction out of me. It's about two hours and I would say 20 minutes into the film. There's a scene between Martha Kent, Superman's mother, and Lois Lane that they're just kind of talking and processing, you know, how life has gone on. You know, Martha lost her son. Lois lost the man she loves and the world lost Superman. So in his absence, you know, Superman's loss is felt incredibly. Now, one of the things I did not expect is that when Martha walks out of Lois's apartment, she says goodbye to Lois. Lois closes the door. And before Martha goes down the stairs, all of a sudden, inexplicably, her eyes turn red. And Martha transforms into a character that I have loved in the DC universe, especially as a member of the Justice League, a character called Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter, also known as John Jones, that's like the, the, his alias or his Earth name. He's played by a character in these films that has been around since Man of Steel. He plays, let me see here. I just want to make sure that I get, uh, give me one second. Because his character, he plays a general. <clears throat> he plays a general in Man of Steel. And he also has a bit part in Batman versus Superman. I may, I may have to get back to him, but... This is one of the things where Zack Snyder frustrates me. 
He's had this character for two movies in. And he waits until the third one to release him. And this is a major, major character. Martian Manhunter, if he would have if he would have revealed him earlier, it would be a lot different. It would be a completely, you know, it, it would be received differently. But instead, they they chose, Zack Snyder chose to reveal him later in a movie that he had to redo. Technically, that reveal of Martian Manhunter was unbelievable. It really was. It really, really, truly was. So, sorry for the delay, guys. The actor's name is Harry Lennox, and he plays Martian Manhunter in this film, and he was General Swan in... Uh, General Swanson, I believe, in Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman. So he finally comes out in this film. His, Despite his appearance, again, kind of falling similar to what Darkseid was, a little bit heavy on the CG, it's still satisfying to see him. It's very, very satisfying to see him. After that cameo, that that one hell of a surprise of a cameo comes out. The film progresses and goes towards the team exhuming Superman's uh, corpse. And now the film moves to part five, which is called All the King's Horses. The team goes to the burial site of Clark Kent and they get Superman's body. You know, the dialogue is kind of funny because the Flash is like, I can't believe we're literally digging up Superman's corpse, <laughs> you know. And it's the the comic aspect with Snyder, the comedy aspect, better said, is not great. He, Snyder doesn't really do, you know, comedic dialogue. That's where Josh Whedon kind of did better in the first Avengers film, in Age of Ultron, and in his version of Justice League. There's a scene where... Aquaman sits on Wonder Woman's lasso of, of truth and he starts to say some really outlandish, honest shit that's hysterical. That's removed in this film. So the banter is very, very little, but it's there nonetheless. And it does well. So in the scene where they bring Superman back to life, you see how they use the mother box and how the Flash... A charge from the uh, from the Flash's energy brings or energizes the Mother Box and brings Superman back to life. Very well done this time around. The first time around on Whedon's cut, it's not necessarily very different, but aesthetically, you could see where Snyder chose to do things. Or, or the way he visualized things. One of those instances is when Batman and Superman come face to face. They did it the same. It's just subtle differences. Um, here, Superman actually attacks Batman. When the other one, he just kind of threw him. So that's like the only change that really kind of stuck out. 
With that, Superman grabs Lois when he sees her for the first time. And she kind of brings him out of this. I don't know. I guess coming back from the dead, he's not fully aware of who he is. Or, you know, he kind of, you know, senses that Cyborg, the Flash, Aquaman are there to hurt him. So he has a, a quick conflict with them. And then Batman shows up and Batman, he remembers from Batman versus Superman because Batman fought with him and tried to kill him and honestly almost succeeded. So their exchange here with Snyder's version was well-rounded. It was definitely better than what Whedon did. Not very different, just better. Superman and Lois fly back to his house where he grew up. He sees his mom. Batman introduces a team to Alfred, explain what's going on. They're trying to find Superman now that he took off flying. But they're worried more about the third mother box and, you know, Steppenwolf and so on and so on and so on. I'm trying to just kind of. How can I say I'm trying to kind of just break this down as best as possible with the allotted time I have. So. The team begins to open up to each other more. Batman has a really unique moment where he touches on something he didn't do in Whedon's version. Where he addresses a dream that he had that the Flash ran out to him and told, said something to him. You know, Bruce, Bruce, Lois, Lois is the key. And he touches on that, which is incredibly interesting because in Whedon's version, he never said that. And he's like, I don't know if it was a dream or a premonition, but I know I've I've come in contact with the Flash. I just can't picture it. I can't, you know, I can't touch on it. That was a smart move, in my opinion, to acknowledge that part. Because if these movies are going where I think they're going, that small interaction is going to have huge ramifications later on. Now we get to... The final act of the film. Or at least towards the final act. And once Superman has kind of regained the senses. He sees Lois. He sees his mom. He goes back to his ship. The Kryptonian ship. And as he's walking around. Because the ship automatically senses his DNA. It begins to react to him. And it starts showing him like you know. His ancestral suits. It shows him Jor-El's armor. It shows him Kryptonian combat armor. It shows him his Superman suit, the blue and red suit. And then it reveals another suit, which is, or at least done in the comics, Superman's regenerative suit, which is black and silver. What this suit does is that it helps him in the event that he was mortally wounded or hurt beyond a point of regeneration. Superman's powers generally come from from the sun. So as he absorbs the sun, he this is where he gets his power from. This black suit helps him absorb the sun faster. So he regains his strength quicker. So there's a really beautiful scene that he's wearing this black suit. And he kind of like flies up towards the sun. And we move on to the final battle. This was also done similar to what Josh Whedon had done. But in my opinion, 
it was much more fluid. It was a bit more cohesive, um, a bit more entertaining. Also in Josh Whedon's version, there was this really kind of weird thing where there was like this family that was living out in the battlefield because Steppenwolf takes the mother box to Chernobyl. And one of the reasons why he takes it here in Zack Snyder, just with one line, it makes sense. Steppenwolf says, this is perfect. This place is toxic because Chernobyl is where the Chernobyl nuclear meltdown had taken place. So they're kind of, you know, using that as, you know, kind of a home base for Steppenwolf to do what he needs to do and also kind of take the humanity aspect out of it. So they could go balls to the wall and have a fight and there's really no human casualty. Josh Whedon decided to put a random European family in the middle of all this shit. Why? I don't know. So this definitely plays better into the action sequence. You know, Batman does his thing. And what, you know, what is the real standout in this entire fight is the Flash. I don't want to give too much away. But in actually, you know what? I may as well because I've given I've given so much away already. And, and I am going to make a, a, a dotation on the description of this episode that it will be a spoiler filled review. Cyborg needs the flash to create enough energy to kind of like power up one of the mother boxes. And the flash is running so fast and he, he screams out to cyborg and he tells him, you know, I can't keep this up much longer. And he starts to see things differently and he goes so fast that he goes into the speed force to such a degree that he could start manipulating time now this is a clear indication of what the speed force will do to him in flashpoint that he will literally run into another dimension so seeing this this is where my brothers and my nephews and i got hyped because we knew what was to come. And it's also visually breathtaking. You know, you, you see the importance of the flash. You see what his powers do. And it's just all beautifully done. It really is beautifully done. During this sequence, we also get to see the return of Superman as they, as Wonder Woman, Aquaman and Batman are fighting parademons and Steppenwolf. And when Superman comes back to fight Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf, excuse me, it is go time. It is serious shit. Superman, I've never seen Superman beat somebody's ass down into the ground. You see it here. And he looks absolutely fantastic doing it. He just, he just, you just see him beating someone down. He didn't do it in Batman versus Superman. In Man of Steel, he did it to a degree, but here he's like, he's literally pulverizing Steppenwolf into the ground, using his heat vision, just looking badass. So that was incredibly satisfying. Again, Cyborg, man, a standout, an absolute standout. You, you get to see 
how he contributes to his, how can I say, his, um, his contribution to the mother boxes and how he's linked to them and how ultimately he helps separate them. And we finally see a, a, a version of Darkseid that is the most accurate. You see him on his planet on Apocalypse. You see aesthetically the way he is supposed to look. And it looks great. If it's a promise of what's to come with him, then I cannot wait. I want more of him. They gave a decent taste of Darkseid, but not enough. They also gave a little taste of apocalypse which is his home world but again not enough so this 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 begs to question quite a few things moving forward the film then wraps up and we see the heroes succeed they they kill steppenwolf they separate the mother boxes they do all they need to do. And then we get the epilogue of the film. The epilogue was kind of a sweet take. It, it just shows you everybody's kind of resolve. So you get to see, you know, Aquaman say, I have to go back to Atlantis. And it leads to, into his movie, Aquaman, you know, it, it if you saw Aquaman, you know how he comes to to finally embrace who he truly is. Fun movie, Aquaman. It really is. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. You see how Bruce Wayne and Wonder Woman take the remains of Wayne Manor. And, you know, you see him talking saying, you know, we'll have a big table here with six chairs. And Wonder Woman says, with room for more. So you see that this starts to build the, the blocks and foundation of the Justice League. Curious enough, you see Superman and Batman talk. Bruce Wayne does something that, you know, Superman's mother lost her house and the farm, the Kent farm. And Bruce Wayne bought the bank because he's badass like that. And he got Superman's mother's house back, you know, because that's what you do for your boy when you try to kill him in one movie. And then you bring him back to life in another. And then you're starting a superhero team in another. So, yeah, man, that's that's who Bruce Wayne is. He's the man. So he tells him something as they're walking away and he goes, oh, by the way, congratulations, to which Clark just kind of nods his head like, thank you. And this is interesting because in an earlier scene, when Lois Lane is sitting by her bedside, she's looking for something and there's a pregnancy test. So there's that. My man, Cyborg, definitely just kind of makes peace with his father's memory because throughout the movie they have a bit of conflict that's also very well played you'll understand why when you see the film batman remains as batman badass and superman takes off into the sky as he does wonder woman you know stands over looking you know the sacred grounds that are left of the Amazonians in man's world where she received the message at the beginning of the film that Darkseid was coming. And the Flash just kind of runs around gleefully enjoying the speed force. He just got a job with Central City Crime Lab 
So this is where he, where his alter ego, Barry Allen, is fleshed out. Then we get a look at the villains, and we get that scene once more where Deathshot talks to Lex Luthor. The dialogue here is a little different. One of the big surprises is that Deathstroke, who is like a super assassin, tells Lex Luthor, you know, if I do this, I'm going to do this my way. I don't want any interruption. I don't want any clowns getting in the way, like hinting at the joke or whatever the case. And Lex Luthor says to him, well, I have a piece of information that I think you would help. And that piece of information is called Bruce Wayne. So is this kind of alluding to the fact that Lex Luthor knows who Batman is? Quite possibly so. And then we come to the part of the movie where at this point I was satisfied. I was satisfied. I said this was a much better version. This film actually makes Batman versus Superman a better film, if that's even possible. So I was very happy. But where the movie won for me was when they go back and they do what's called the nightmare sequence. And this is a sequence where in Batman versus Superman, Bruce Wayne has a dream or premonition of either a potential future that has yet to happen, an alternative future in another world, or something, but it's not good. And what it is is that Darkseid succeeded. The planet falls, he takes it as his world, and it's an exchange that happens where everything that is said here tells you pretty much why this world has come to pass. And it's kind of signifying that Batman wasn't able to save Lois. Lois Lane dies and Superman joins sides with Darkseid. So Batman is like a fugitive. He's like an outlaw in this world, in this barren desert world, Cyborg is on his team. Mira, Aquaman's wife, is on his team because Superman apparently killed Aquaman. Deathstroke, the assassin, is also with Batman. But the number one thing, and this was huge, and this is one of the scenes that were filmed for this movie. So this was done... Last year, at some point, if I'm not mistaken, the Flash is also part of this team. Jared Leto was brought back to play the Joker in this nightmare world. Ben Affleck filmed again as Batman in this nightmare world. They filmed separately, so they were not on the same set, but they did film differently. And I will say this. Jared Leto's moment in this film finally gives his version of the Joker purpose. And the exchange between him and Batman was absolutely excellent to such a degree that I felt it deserved an entire star. So initially, after seeing Justice League, and not getting to this part, I was ready to give it three stars. I was very satisfied 
with what Zack Snyder did. And I understood why he needed four hours. He made the best of that time. He did good. But the exchange between Batman and the Joker in this film made me give this movie four stars. Because finally, finally, we got to see Batman and the Joker face off. They didn't, they didn't touch each other. But the exchange, man, the dialogue between the two of them made it worth it. You have to wait four hours to get to it. But it's worth it. And honestly, my, my congratulations to Jared Leto. I always said he's a hell of an actor. I always felt that he was poorly used in Suicide Squad, that his version of the Joker was quite possibly the worst I'd ever seen. This was redemption, man. Big time. This was redemption. This, this is um, a peek into the potential of what Jared Leto could do as the Joker that I was hoping for in Suicide Squad, but I never got. I got, or we got collectively, a a club kid wannabe bullshit tattooed face, gold grill in his teeth. Who the fuck was that? Because that Joker was garbage. Here, here is the Joker we deserved and that Jared Leto, you could clearly see wanted to give us but gave us something else god only knows why so if we're moving forward in this universe if they let Zack snyder continue now i do not i repeat i do not want Zack snyder to direct another superhero movie i do not he got his chance in my humble opinion he redeemed himself he did a hell of a movie this this was one hell of an undertaking Redemption, man, you got it, brother. You did it. Good job. Ease up with the slow motion, for the love of God. This movie would have probably been two hours and 20 minutes because it's like every other scene, it's slow motion. And that was getting annoying. But for all intents and purposes, it worked. Moving forward, let him executive produce... Let let them keep this vision, this Zack Snyder vision, but let other directors take a crack at it. Let other people write stories based on his world because the nightmare sequence that ended this movie was brilliant to such a degree that Bruce Wayne wakes up from this nightmare. And when he wakes up, he comes to see Martian Manhunter come back to him. And you could definitely tell that the scene was reshot because Ben Affleck looks very different. He looks thinner. He looks a little older. You could tell some years have passed, but he looks thinner. He looks like he's lost a lot of weight. You know, I understand that after the Batman versus Superman, or I think the, the Justice League film, he you know, he's had issues with alcohol and whatever the case. You could tell he's been taking care of himself because he looks thinner and he just looks a little different, but he looks good and he could definitely still be Batman 100%. And it's towards the end of this film and when he wakes up from this nightmare that again, Martian Manhunter shows up and talks to him and tells him, you know, 
your parents would be proud of you. Look at how you bought people together to fight a threat. You know, look at what you've started. We're going to need you to continue to do this and I'll help you in any way I can. So that ultimately brings us to the end of what Zack Snyder was trying to convey to us, what he was ultimately trying to get at with Batman versus Superman and with his version of Justice League. We finally got to see it. Four hours long. You know, it definitely played so much, so much better than Josh Whedon's version. Josh Whedon's version at this point is just like, I don't know, just, I guess, something to have for the sake of, you know, contrast. But this is it. This is... For as long as it is, and again, if you know, if you can't commit to the four hours, do you know, do two hours one one night and two hours another night. But this is it. I honestly, I can say wholeheartedly, there is no other way to watch this film than in this version. So make a day out of it, you know, make dinner, order pizza, and enjoy it. Because across the board, I give this movie four stars. I thought it was a hell of a recovery for a man who was trying to convey what it is that he would do with this universe. And he did well. I, I, you know, I'm still upset with him with Batman versus Superman. That, that movie was a disappointment, but this film was so good that it, plays Batman versus Superman better. Batman versus Superman doesn't leave such a bitter taste in my mouth after watching this now and seeing how they play to one another's strengths. So that's it, guys. Thank you, as always, for taking a moment or taking an hour to hear me ramble on. But this was a this was a long movie, man. <laughs> For as good as it was, shit was long, but it was justified. Um, one of the one of the bittersweet things at the very end of the film is uh, the words that come on the black screen that say "For Autumn," who was Zack Snyder's daughter, who tragically committed suicide and was one of the reasons why he had to step away. But he came back and he delivered one hell of a product, guys. So. Enjoy it. I uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope this review helped. In the coming weeks, I'm going to be doing a review of WandaVision, which was amazing. If you guys haven't seen it on Disney+, Plus, check it out. Another show has recently aired called Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That first episode of that series was as good as any Marvel movie and it feels like a continuation, a direct continuation of Civil War, which is one of my no, which is my favorite Marvel movie. So check it out. Again, that will be in the coming weeks. Guys, it is good to be back. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you have any questions, email me at so have you seen one at gmail.com or hit me up on my Instagram. So have you seen again? Hit me with topics, subjects. Give me a reason to make this every week and I'll be happy to do it. 
In the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other. And thank you again. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.